What is happening, people? Welcome to the Control Yourself podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com. What is FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com? Functional Anatomy Seminars is where you can go to register for any of our seminars um, and certifications like functional range conditioning certifications, functional range um, assessment, kin stretch, uh, functional range release, uh, any of our uh, systems, what's known as the functional range systems. If you're a trainer or a therapist or medical practitioner, uh, you can go ahead and check out functionalanatomyseminars.com to learn more about the system as well as upcoming seminars, um, which we have worldwide. The episode is also brought to you by westside-barbell.com. Go check out westside-barbell.com for education on sports conditioning, powerlifting, weight training, um, uh, Olympic lifting. Uh, go check out their page. You've probably heard of Westside Barbell. If you are, um, if you are, a str- you do strength training. You're a strength and conditioning professional. If you haven't, I highly advise you go check them out. Uh, when you go to WestsideBarbell.com, if you use the promo code Dre10 D R E10 on checkout, you will receive 10% off uh, your purchase of educational materials, clothing, gear, uh, etc. Uh, once again, go to westside-barbell.com. Uh, today's guest is my good friend, Josh Halbert. Josh is a strength and conditioning uh, specialist who works with a lot of professional athletes um, as well as just anybody really. He, uh, he's a really great trainer uh, as well as a great speaker and presenter, uh, which is why he is also Um, a functional range systems instructor. So I've traveled around the world with Josh um, doing our seminars. He's a wealth of information. Uh, We talk about a lot of topics um, in this particular episode, things ranging from the management of professional athletes um, to topics about the physiology uh, and scientific relevance of meditation, uh, the use of meditation for pain management, um, meditative practice. We talk a little bit about free will and managing motivation um, in clients and in patients. Uh, we touch a lot of, uh, on the research on human consciousness and the evolutionary basis of human consciousness. Uh, yeah, we really get into a lot of topics. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And without further delay, I bring you Josh Halbert. Well, we're recording now, so whatever we're talking about, it better get really good really quickly. Because, uh, there's no sense discussing what we should be discussing when we're supposed to be discussing what we're discussing. I just, like I said, uh, we're, uh, I'm just going to pretend like we're in a Chipotle in an airport somewhere. And the, been- Yeah, well, we've done that. We've done that at Chipotle in airports, haven't we? So we that's where we do our best work. So how's it going, man? It's going well. Uh started started training some people kind of outdoors now a little bit oh you're doing it outdoors now yeah just maintain distance kind of just trying to be as safe as i can are you guys uh you got how is it in your state what do you guys what's the situation there are you guys um no we're like i think we're i don't know we're in some kind of phase 
where things have kind of opened up. <laughs> it's some kind of phase. I don't know. I don't know. It's, we're still playing pretend. There's, there's not a virus out there, but we need, we need the economy to go. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, I mean, priorities. <laughs> <laughs> what about you guys? Uh, we're in like phase, yeah, we're in some phase two, phase two. Not some phase two. We are in phase two, I believe. So uh, the clinics opened up again. Uh, so we can see people, but it's, you know, it's weird. It's like masks and whatever. It is what it is. And it ain't what it ain't. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I, I've, it's so funny how you can literally watch like commercials and brands catch on like, oh, it's the new normal. That's, yeah. like, that's like how every YouTube ad starts now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. And then there's like, now there's masks and there's masks with labels on them. And now people are, are logoing masks and it, it's, a, it's a strange place. You know what I mean? And, and apparently there's no such thing as, as uh, specialists anymore. <clears throat> and people who study that, you know what I was thinking the other day? So you, your, your job is obviously in the human body. You, you train, you know, athletes, elite athlete, NFL guys, you train, you train everybody to, you know, work, move better. So their bodies, you know, function well. Imagine if I came to you, and I said, like, give me something that you do, like FRC or something, or a particular type of training, right? Something that it's yours, you own it. And then I came to you and I was like, yeah, man, I don't fucking think you're right. <laughs> you know what, I, like, could you imagine, like, <clears throat> you go to a surgeon and the guy's gonna do surgery on your neck and, and, you're, and, and he's like, yeah, well, we're gonna take an anterior approach to, your, to the surgery. And you're like, yeah, you know what? I, I just, I don't buy it. I think a posterior approach is better. No one says that, but for some reason, and, and I, and dude, I've studied like pathology and microbiology and, and virology and, you know, to a certain extent in school. And I still don't claim to know anything about that particular topic. Like, I don't know about contagious diseases. You know, I do cause I'm a doctor, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's just a strange time where nobody, it doesn't matter what you studied or how much effort you put into understanding a topic. As long as there's the internet, everyone has the same, you know, level of knowledge. There's no respect for depth, right? Like uh, the problem is within, and I'm sure I'm guilty on this with some subjects as well, like we all are, but you could, you could Google something for an hour and feel like an expert or like you, you have like enough language to fool yourself into thinking you're an expert. Um, yeah. And now everybody's an epidemiologist apparently now. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. let's not open that can of worms, but bringing it back, because I have on my list of shit to do, I have my Dr. Dre's versus the internet, right? Because I, I, like, you know, have you seen those before? I just kind of take someone's yeah. ridiculous question and then at, you know, their question and then talk about what the question actually means. And I was just about to do one, which goes back to what you were saying, where people clearly read some stuff, right? And then for some reason they think you never read it. You know what I mean? Like out of all, all the work that you do, you've never read what I've read, right? They just stumble across these things. Like one, one person, I, I, this happens all the time. You put up an exercise, one of our exercises, and within an hour, we're going to get some comment saying, what is this even good for? Do you ever get that, do you ever get yeah. that comment on your thing? I'm going to put this heater on. It's freezing down here. Like, what is this exercise even good for? And then I sit there and I sit, like, I don't really look at a lot of my comments, but I, you know, every once in a while they pick, it picks you up. And I was like, well, maybe I should answer. But then how do you answer that? Like, if it's a hip exercise, how do you explain to someone that it's good because hips are good and you have a hip and hips working well 
is positive? Like, how do you explain that without sounding like you're being insulting? I, well, you can't because the medium that you're doing, you can't, you can't, most of the time, you're not going to be able to fast forward somebody like that to your thought process and what you did. So you have to kind of give them some kind of general answer. And then you're accused of not having depth, but then yeah. you, you're not, you're in a platform that you can't even present depth with, which is social media. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. 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 I mean, I did, I, I think uh, we did one of our, our, uh, I posted up, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago, one of our speed drills that we mm -hmm. do for end range training. And then somebody, it was just to get some kind of glute extension or something. And somebody's like, why don't you just jump? And I'm yeah. like, why do like, I didn't say don't jump. I didn't say that at all. You're like, fuck, I never thought of that. <laughs> oh, really? I could just jump? Like, oh, man. I could just fucking, like, instead of all of that, like, detail and thinking. And then the funny thing is, in the copy, I, pre I pretty much know what you're talking about because I read the copy. And in the copy, you're explaining exactly why you're doing what you're doing. But clearly, copy doesn't matter, right? But in the copy, you're like, I'm doing this because of this. And all of that work could have been avoided if you just jumped chimpy you know what i mean people they want like something simple i don't know people get frustrated like i'm not doing that i just jump why don't you just just jump and it's like okay i mean jump for who how does this person jump like <laughs> what wow. happens when they jump what do they use to jump you know yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it goes down that and people just get they get frustrated i mean i don't know i i don't have the motivation to me to leave a shitty comment on somebody's page because there's something else I could be doing. There's stuff I see where I'm like, this is, this is stupid. I can't believe this. Let's, happening. Go, but let's, I, go, let's go into this because <laughs> I was just fucking thinking, I was just thinking that I just put the, the fifth episode of the podcast out. Right. And yeah. what I've noticed on YouTube, because a lot of people watching this on YouTube is that there's like, like likes, likes, like thumbs up, thumbs up stuff. So it's like, I don't know how many thumbs up there are just like hundred thousand, whatever it is. And then there's one dude, and I don't know who you are out there. I don't know. I don't know if it's the same guy, but there's always one thumbs down. And I always think to myself, what, like, what's the what's the driving motivation? Like the motivator in in your brain to go and do things is the dopamine, right? So you you get a dopamine rush, which is the reason why you just do you don't do nothing, right? If there's no dopamine, you do nothing but you get this, I want to do something. I want to move. I want to overcome gravity. And the dopamine starts to build in your brain and it gives you this motivation to move. And then you move. And the reason you move is so that when you do whatever you were doing, you can get your here and now neurotransmitters, your serotonin, your, your, you know, your cannabinoids, all the stuff that makes you feel good. So conceivably when you press thumbs down, you are motivated to like, there's something about you that you, you're like, ah, after you press thumbs down. Because the other option is do nothing, right? Yeah. And it's actually less calories to just do nothing than it is to move the scroller and press thumbs down. It can't, you can't, who, I don't know who you are. Maybe you're going to, you can, maybe if you're that guy, maybe you should, you should write in on this episode and let us know, but it can't feel satisfying, man. Like you can't be, because your name's not on it, it's it's like I, I just I I disprove I I I disprove I just don't like it. It's anonymous. <laughs> I don't uh, like it. I just don't. And then of course you'll get a bunch of great comments and one kind of shitty comment, yeah. and then you know, the the algorithms on YouTube want more discussion and more time, so they'll just put up that algorithm for or that comment first. Is that what? Yeah. 
I think so. I mean, that's what happens with like, you know, Facebook and stuff like that. It's like they just find out what triggers people the most and they just show them more of that. Well, that's what happens with the news, I guess. They, they don't, they don't, uh, I always remember, they don't um, report on the planes that land. I always try to keep that in mind. You know what I mean? Oh, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't know where I learned that back in school somewhere. One of my professors, like they, they're never going to tell you about the planes that land. Do you imagine how boring the fucking news would be? Another plane landed today. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. 99.9% of planes landed this month. <laughs> Who gives a shit? <laughs> Tell me about the one that just exploded in a fiery death. Like, that's how it is right now. You know what I mean? Well, I, I think... Uh, I think that's just motivation. Like, there's no other way to motivate. It's just a... a it's a byproduct of, of human consciousness and how easily it can be manipulated. Well, I mean, you, you, you've studied this a lot too. I, and we've had conversations about this, but I think to bring people kind of up to speed about, you know, where we're coming from, well, what would you say is human consciousness from, from what you know and what you don't know? Holy shit. What is today? This, by the way? this is probably not going to be a podcast where people are going to figure out how to fix their shoulder or their hip. This is going to be a little what, off the rails. You know what it is because it all comes back to that. Yeah. First off, let's say that I, I, yeah, what was the question? What was the crazy question? What is, what is consciousness for, oh. according to you? This is according to me. That's a good thing to say because I don't want to, we don't want to claim to be consciousness, you know, experts or researchers, just like we were saying before, but pose yeah. a question, you're going to get an answer. No, I have studied this because in order to, as, as you know, in order to really understand human movement, I don't know how you can do what we do without somehow running into two topics, which is the same topic. The one is human evolution, right? I don't understand how any therapist, uh, trainer, actually, I, don't, I really don't understand how anybody can study any topic that doesn't come back to human evolution in some degree. But if you're gonna be in our profession and your, your job is to take homo sapiens and make suggestions as to how to make them better at it, I can't imagine that you shouldn't study the definition of the thing you're working on, right? Mm. Like human evolution should be first day, first grade at chiropractic school, at physiotherapy school, at whatever. And I suppose along the same lines, human consciousness should also be studied um, because in my opinion, it comes from the same, it's not my opinion, of course, it's the opinion of researchers that I've studied. It comes from the same vein. So, I mean, the, the coolest way that I like to think about it now, and I think this came from, um, I think it's uh, Global Workspace Theory, Stanish, I can't remember the author's name, but it, it was described as consciousness as being, um, if you're at a play and all of the spotlights are shining down on the, the, uh, the stage, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, so this, the, the light that the stage, the, the, the light that's shining on the stage or what the light is shining on is kind of human consciousness. And then you have the stage hands in the background and you have the audience in the foreground, but they're dark, right? So this would be the realm of unconsciousness. So the, the thought being is that you have all of these, you know, all of this chatter or this stuff occurring in your unconsciousness and then that cumulatively shines a light on what you want to pay attention to. So vast majority of the brain's activity is subconscious. That's not even in your forefront. Okay. So I don't the lights. Yeah. 
okay, so I, you can yeah. you, you can tell me what you think. But I don't think if if consciousness is a byproduct, then it sure as hell is not the focus, right? So yeah, to say that most stuff is in your subconscious is I it's hundred it's it's a hundred percent fact. Almost mm -hmm. everything is in your subconscious, right? Almost everything. Like think of how many calculations are being done right now for me to just grab my coffee cup without seeing it and take a drink. Like there, if you had to keep up with all of that, like think of right now, how weird it would be if your, your consciousness picked up your earbud and how it felt in your ear at all times. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, when you say when you put socks on, you can't feel your socks after a while. Imagine how that would be if you were consistently taking in all of these feedbacks. Right. So no, it's like your subconscious tunnels, what consciousness is allowed to concentrate on because in my opinion and then you could, it, consciousness has to be a byproduct of natural selection from the human evolution process if humans are the only ones that have this higher level of consciousness then somehow that had to be related to evolution because all of our ancestors have a different level of consciousness conceivably going back to the you know most basic organisms does this make sense yes yes so you're so expand on that then you're saying like humans have the hardware to have this kind of attention span or something that would be able to because it's a mix right because you can think in the future you can kind of plan ahead which i think is one of the things that separates us from what we know of most other species that we plan ahead we have like you know a prefrontal cortex and stuff that's that helps with forward thinking um it, and this always relates back to the work that you and i do with people is that is that people don't have they have concentration issues they don't really have a a body issue as much as they have a concentration issue that manifests itself into a body issue right for most people and it's like hey they don't know how to take care of themselves like the stuff that we're teaching like they don't get a manual on how to like preserve their health and do that on also like we uh we're not in our natural environment right we're not we're, we're homo sapiens in a non-homo sapien environment at least most of us the vast majority of people on earth um, you know, if you think about what we do from a, on a day-to-day -day basis compared to what we were naturally selected to do, it's vastly different. And it, manis and it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Some things are awesome, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that it's taking its toll on us. I mean, just the work that you and I do and, and uh, you know, the and people in our community and the people in general in the fitness industry. I mean, we're constantly trying to have people care and consider their health because the environment, like, home, like hunter-gatherers never had to consider really their health. In the, in the, in, at the depth that we have to, right? Because the environment they were in, they were just like, don't get eaten, don't get sick, eat enough food, stay out of trouble. Well, you know? I, think, I, think, I think exercise was just the byproduct of staying alive, if that's what you're saying. At the yeah. point of the gatherer, like health and wellness and exercise was not, the, was not the focus because it couldn't be, but it just so happened to be a byproduct of what the focus was, which is to avoid getting eaten to eat other things and then to, to to have sex right yes to make more of you to make more of you yeah you said a lot of things there like one thing that you did say um and i don't know if you read the if you read what you said from i read uh, the thing that you said uh about the anticipatory nature of consciousness mm -hmm. you kind of said that it allows you to make predictions is that what you were saying yeah yeah, that's, uh, I read that for in, in uh, Michio Kaku in his book. Oh, God, what's it, which book? I don't remember. Michio Kaku, he's the physicist. Mm -hmm. And that's how he defined, he defined it. He, he defines it um, from a physicist standpoint, but I like the way he does it from 
the perspective that there's um, levels of consciousness. So like there's level one, level two, level three. Okay. And, you know, level one is at the plant vegetation level where um, there, and then level two would be the level of animals. Let's say if the animals that we assume have less consciousness than us, because if you want to talk about dolphins and uh, octopus, I, I don't know that we want to get into that, but it might be close. Anyway, um, you have level two, which would be like animals, and the level three would be humans, and it's all graded based on your ability to anticipate, right? So your ability to look into the future, to plan, and to predict. So the idea is that an animal plan, plans into the future, but only a very short amount of time, so they can only predict the immediate future if they're in a hunt, you know what I mean? They don't think about mm -hmm. like, what, you know, what's going to become of me in 20 years. Like They don't have that predictive capacity, but then humans do, right? So at the highest level of consciousness, it's, it's the idea that we, we have this ability to see into the future, so to speak, and then using that information, we can change how we um, effectively live in the, in the environment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was just going to say that that's, that's exactly how he defines it as this ability. So getting back to that, getting back to what I was saying before, so in my, in my assumption or my view, it has to be a byproduct of evolution. So there has, to be, there has to be a good evolutionary reason as to why consciousness was selected for, right? And the way I see it, if you think of it that way, the one good reason why consciousness would be selected for is because consciousness allows you to make even further predictions into the future, mm -hmm. right? Well, it allows you to create a... Uh... You know, if you get back to like the stuff that we've kind of read in Sapiens, great mm. book. Um, yeah. it, it allows you to assimilate a culture and then your mm -hmm. culture can fast forward and evolve way, much faster than your biology can. Yes. And you know how to, okay, Hey, you know, three grandfathers ago, I learned how to tie this <laughs> arrow. <laughs> three grandfathers ago. Yeah, yeah. I learned how to tie this arrowhead better so mm -hmm. that it doesn't, it doesn't fuck up when you, when you, when it hits the animal. And then you're like, those little like compounding improvements, you know, mm -hmm. lead to more of you, more food, more, more babies, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, that's like kind of, I guess if that's the biological definition of success for a species is that it can just make more of itself. Mm -hmm. And then you just, you take it through that filter for hundreds, hundreds of thousands of years. And, you know, but now you have today, right. And you and I are, uh, are such proponents of meditation like what a what a if you live like most people live today like uh, a concentration as you call it a concentration practice is is probably needed for most people because there's such a, a war on our attention from yes. everything you know what meditate i do i do want to talk about that with you because i know that you you practice you practice meditation a lot but before we going uh, back to what we were saying before you you you're familiar with um with Sam Harris's Free Will. Have you read that long essay, Free Will? I haven't read the long essay. I've heard him talk about it. I'm st I still try to wrap my head around it, but I I'm, I'd love to hear your take on it. And, and well, I mean, uh, he's, he's talked about it a lot. Actually, it was a good conversation between him and Dan Dennett. I, can't, I don't know when it was, how long ago, on this very topic. Quite a few, I think a few conversations on it. But anyway, the idea there is a lot of it's based on the research that tells you that your decision-making process preempted it preempted that's not the right word. The decision-making process precedes, is what I was thinking, precedes your conscious ability to make a decision, okay? 
So what research has demonstrated is that when I ask you a question, uh, your answer is already provided for you somehow several milliseconds before your conscious brain picks up the idea that it's there, right? So if I say, mm. think, of a, think of a vegetable, go ahead. Say it. Okay. Zucchini. Zucchini. So you said zucchini, like the answer, the question that, that he would pose is, why did you pick zucchini, right? And now you're going to use your conscious brain to develop some kind of story because that's what the conscious brain does. It tells you stories so that you can try to understand what the hell's going on in your environment, right? So your conscious brain makes up a story. Oh, I just ate zucchini or, you know, my favorite color is green, so I picked zucchini. But that's not what happened. What happened is something just shot into your head and it was given to you, right? Name an actor. Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Where the <laughs> fuck did that come from, right? There you go. We don't have to talk about this shit anymore. You just proved it. The fact that you said Michael J. Fox means that everything I say is completely 100% accurate. No, but that's the idea. It's, it gets popped into your brain. So again, I, I consciously, okay, so you know how you keep learning that you're not supposed to understand what's going on because our brains didn't evolve to understand what's going on? Mm -hmm. That's kind of, in my opinion, consciousness, right? Because from an evolutionary standpoint, really what your brain has is it has sensations, right? So you take in sensations, you take in auditory sensation or, or auditory sound, you take in visual, you take in touch sensation, you take in, you know, afferent sensation from touching your environment. So your body's hardware is geared towards the assemblance and understanding of sensation coming from its periphery, right? That's mm -hmm. what it's for, right? So what's, so consciousness, what is that? Like when you're, when you, if you're, you and your wife are in a fight and you, you say, oh my God, I feel bad. What you're really describing physical feelings, right? You're describing a physical feeling. People think that emotions are somehow dis uh, unattached to your sensations, but they're mm -hmm. not. Like when, when you're in a fight with your wife, you get that, oh, I have this weird feeling in my stomach, right? Or my stuff, you know, people have... Uh, they're depressed, they get, they get uh, stomach pains, they get gut issues, they get all of these physical um, ramifications. And that's because physical ramifications is all we have. Like we're just beings that respond to um, forces in the environment, right? We're just, we're mm -hmm. just responding. And now you have consciousness, which is just a way of thinking about what's going on and that, and that ultimately, ultimately gets confused because you're, I don't think we're supposed to necessarily be contemplating uh, when we're going to die or, or those types of things. Like, so it, consciousness it, is like a filter for the, the real time information that you have coming in, in a sense, it's part of what you think it could be. Make it, to make it make sense. You know what I mean? To make it make sense. Because again, it's just, you're, it's, it, okay, going back to meditation, because that's where I was going with that. It's like, if you think about what meditation is, at least I, I will tell you what I think it is, and you can disagree with me, but it's trying to, to get to the point where you're just taking in sensory information. Mm. You're just bathing in sensory information, right? Because they always, I hate the way people explain meditation. It's like, think about your breath. Well, then if you tell me to think about your, my breath, I'm going to think about myself thinking about my breath. So it's not think about your breath. What you're really supposed to be saying is experience your breath. And then people stop there in meditation as if 
the breath has some kind of, you know, amazing power, like, but that's not true. It, it's just something to kind of stake your claim into I'm going to, I'm going to concentrate here. But then eventually your meditative practice has to expand to the fact that you're just there to take in any and all sensory information, right? And as the sensory information comes in and it gets amalgamated in your brain, and then that amalgamation shoots stuff into your consciousness, you're just supposed to observe that and say, oh, look at that. All of the chatter of my sensation made me think of a zucchini. And then you're supposed to go back to the, to the absorption of sensation. No, I, I, I think I agree. I, I, it really is just like, where are you going to, it's like, uh, I don't know where I heard this analogy, but it's basically like a, um, like a spotlight for your attention, right? Like you're just, it's just wherever you're going to focus on. And, and, um, you have to practice that. I, I remember when we had, I don't know what city it was. We were, we were walking and we were talking and you said something that was, uh, that I, that stood out to me, uh, that was like, you know, if I'm, if I, the best I could hope for with meditation is like, if I'm about to emotionally react, like if I just recognize that I'm emotionally reacting and I still have that negative reaction, like that is the key is like, just to have that pause, just to have that separation from you and your, your autonomic process. Yes. And then if you practice that enough, like maybe you can make an actual decision of what to do to not have that reaction. If, if that's not the, the reaction to have. You know, and it's just, it's like, it's just like a, like a, like a bicep curl for your brain. It's like, okay, just, just feel it. Okay. Now, how do you want to react? And I think that's the best we could hope for being just barely hairy bipedal apes fast forward into 2020 is like, have a little bit more awareness of, of our reactions because, you know, we, we, we operate off of so much like instinct and learned behavior, like where do, where do memories come from? Isn't that like a past information feeds into that, into your conscious decision? So how, like if you're, if, if the stuff is just emergent, where, where, how, what's the point of, of, of memory? Why do people loop? They loop constant memories all the time. Is that just because they're trying to worry about the future? Uh, you know, I know that's a, that's a huge topic, but. Ultimately it's because they're trying to organize three dimensional space, but that's, that's, we're going to have to go real far to get back to that, that problem. Because again, I said this before, we don't think in words, man. And we don't think in, we think in movement and three dimensional space. That's why, that's what thoughts are. And that's what forces are. And that's what sensations are. I mean that, so man, you said a lot of stuff and I don't, I don't even know where the, where the jump off point is best to begin there. But yeah, I think for what, what we're gathering here is that it's almost like you're trying to um, separate uh, consciousness and live without it temporarily. If only temporarily, you get to a point where you observe what consciousness is, which is this emergence of ideas. It's like your brain's trying to get your attention, right? Your brain's like made of a bunch of areas or centers and all of these things want your attention so they're just throwing out sensory information and then what appears on the stage of your consciousness is is what appears on the stage of your consciousness right and then mm. the ability to observe that and say oh that's just another thought and understand that a thought is not a something it's just a passing you know what i mean it's it's mm. it's a passing thing if you, if you have a thought there the thought's going to be gone and that observation of thoughts coming and going means that you've separated yourself from conscious thought and you're kind of 
spending time um, in the creative, where, where those thoughts are coming from, right? Which is where I like to think creativity comes from. And I, it's not me. That's what mm -hmm. a lot of really creative, smart people would say. Creativity comes from a time when you're in a flow state, which is really a time where you've lost track of time because you're so ultimately concentrated on what you're doing and you're so embathed or bathed in serotonin and cannabinoids that your, your focus is 100% taken up by what you're doing, which is another way of saying that you're immersed in what you're doing past consciousness, right? You're immersed in it more because you're just experiencing it as a sensation. And I remember, I, I want to go back to what you said before I forget the point. You said something about, yeah, you, what, why do you meditate? You meditate so that, you know, when your kids get, you know, my kids get me upset for whatever reason, it's not like you don't get upset, right? <laughs> I don't care if you're the fucking Dalai Lama. Like, if you don't get upset, you're just bullshitting me. You do, right? But the idea that you can, you can uh, identify what it feels like to be upset, and that gets back to what we were saying before. There's a feeling, a physical mm. feeling, forget consciousness. There's a physical feeling to anger, right? There's a physical feeling to being upset. Like if I'm getting angry because let's say my kids aren't cleaning up fast enough. If you know, you, you, you build up and you, you go, come on guys, you, you might raise your voice. You might say this, you might say that you might, you might, you know, you might get fed up. You might, but if you stop and if you stop in that moment and go, what does this feel like right now? You can feel an anxiety, mm. which feels like a heart rate. What does anxiety feel? That your heart rate's a little bit up. Your shoulders are a little bit more tense. It, it, it's, it's a physical manifestation of, of actually, I was going to say it's a physical manifestation of what you're thinking, but actually it's a thinking manifestation of what you're physical, right? Because yes. it all comes back to the physical, right? So if you can separate yourself from this conscious chatter and you experience the background, which is what absorbs these incoming signals, then you start to say, oh, that anger is actually an incoming signal. I identify this signal. And then, I, and then because you can identify it, you can let it go a little bit faster than if you didn't practice doing this, right? Yes, yes. So, you know, I apologize that much sooner. And if you can, if you can apologize 10 minutes sooner than you usually do, I, I'm going to tell you your life's going to get better. Like, I, I'm no expert in life, but... If you can, if you can apologize ten minutes sooner than you usually do, it's pretty fucking remarkable. I think. Say sorry ten minutes faster. Yeah, because ultimately, like, what are you arguing about? Shut up! Like, you know what I mean? Like most things you argue <laughs> about is nonsense, right? Most things you argue about is probably because you get a physical sensation that you don't like. Like you know what I mean? Like Kati tells you, you're, you know, "Oh, I saw that that video you posted. It sucked." And then you get yeah. mad. Why are you getting mad? She's helping you. The video probably sucked, but you get this feeling like. <laughs> oh my ego oh my ego got punched your right? videos are so good yeah don't yeah. let anybody tell you yeah well you need it the thing is is like you do need a you need an ego at some point because the ego keeps you like lets you brush your teeth right mm -hmm. the ego does kind of help you take it's a biological mechanism for you recognizing self and taking care of self right so there are you, you do need it at some level to to, to have self-preservation but if it gets unchecked yeah. You know, that's, I was thinking this the other day is like, I, how, how can I be mad at my ego? Because even though it says crazy shit in my head, its purpose is to protect me at some level. Yeah, I guess the first off, I mean, saying ego makes us feel, makes us sound like a bunch of 
you know, I don't want to come it's off. Got a lot of, it's got a baggage to it. Right? I don't want to come off. I don't want to come off of those people who quote Nietzsche on Twitter, but never fucking read a word. <laughs> that drives me crazy. I'm pretty sure if you count up the number of quotes from the Buddha that went out on social media today, and then you count the number of people who have read more than a page about Buddhism, I am pretty sure they don't match up, right? Like there's a yes. lot of people just retweeting quotes that they like. I hate that. So I don't want to come across like. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, having said that, I forgot if there was a question there. I was just saying I don't want to come off as that person. What were you saying? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This, my ego says it doesn't matter. Oh, your ego. Uh, so, yeah. so to say ego is weird. So how do you, how do you think about that? Cause there's two levels in my opinion of meditation. One is, as you, you alluded to this, one is the realization as to why it's important, which in my opinion requires a scientific understanding. And then two is the practice of it because just having a scientific understanding doesn't mean that you meditate. And I think that people get very confused with that, you know what I'm saying? It's just like with cars, with our, our, our circle, like uh, people, some people know cars, but they don't do cars. And knowing cars is not gonna do shit for your joints. Doing cars helps you. So mm -hmm. the first level of understanding what meditation is, which is like from a uh, neurophysiological standpoint, we just described it. And then there's the idea of, of practice, right? Of, yes. act, of actually doing, um, which are two different things. But you have to, it's like people will say, oh, you know, I, I get a meditation when I, when I run or I do meditation when I'm moving. And it's like, no, you don't. you're focused on the running and that's good, but it's not, it's not formal practice. It's like saying like, oh, I move my joints, I flow. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but no, it's not like you're not, you're not doing the uncomfortable work, right? Which is just actually for most people is formally sitting still and, and, and practicing their attention. Now you can take that, ideally you're taking whatever you, that container of what you learn in that practice and you're applying it throughout the day over time. That's the, that's the goal. But so many people just confuse, like you said, they think they know meditation is good. So they just assume that they're doing it when their, no, their, their mind is less uh, noisy. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. They use it as a thing, as like a, as like a therapy and, and, and we're, we're, we're partly my, my, uh, our profession bad because we, it's like, uh, what's a good thing for back pain? And then list, you know, chiropractic manipulation, NSAIDs, meditation. It's like they use it as a, I'll take fries with that. They use it as a, as a tool. <laughs> but ultimately, when I talk to patients and I'm teaching them how to meditate, I, I, I always tell people, don't expect anything. Because as soon as you expect something, you've undermined the entire purpose of it, right? The idea is to expect nothing. Because what you're doing is sitting and trying your best to do the ultimate form of homo sapien nothingness, which is to just sit there and be your sensations, right? Mm -hmm. that, like, yeah. That's what, it's just, a, you have to practice doing that. And then as you do that, you start to feel, like I said, what anger feels like, feel what sadness feels like. So you can start to anticipate, maybe using our level three consciousness, when you're starting to feel a certain way, and then you can bring it back to, you know, I don't want to say the now because that's so cliche, mm -hmm. but the ability to stop what you're doing, because when you're angry, again, if you're angry at something, usually you're angry at something that's about to happen or something that did happen. But when you really mm -hmm. stop to think about it, you sitting here right now, are you really angry right now? 
The answer mm. is we know, right? So, you know, I might have a deadline coming up and it's making me, you know, it's making me upset and I'm getting, uh, my temper goes here and I'm, and I'm, but I'm really only have that because I'm projecting my future self, which doesn't exist, right? I'm yes. The future, I'm saying whatever is going to happen in the future is going to make me upset. So I might as well just discharge upset hormones and neurotransmitters now, which doesn't make any fucking sense, right? Or I'm thinking, man, I really fucked up two days ago, which means that now I'm just, I'm getting a physical reaction now, right? I'm, all yes. the chemicals, the, the chemical soup is happening now, but it's happening based on something that happened two days ago, which means that what, what you're doing is illogical, right? There's, if you stop and think about it right now, you usually, you're going to feel better about whatever the problem is. Even if you're in pain, if you just stop and think about the pain, like just stop and be here and take in the sensation of pain, a lot of the times for my patient, that makes them feel a lot better when they're not taking pain and then compounding pain with future worry about pain. Yes, 100%. Well, it's like you're kind of like what you said, what you said was great about either the past or the future, because in the present, you're kind of just creating threat for the sake of threat. You know, you're just yeah. manifesting threat. And, and speaking about pain, right? I mean, you, you know, with your experience and my experience, I mean, how many, like, take somebody who has chronic pain, let's just say lower back pain. And correlation is not causation, but how, how many, if you could even quantify this percentage-wise of, of patients that you see that have chronic back pain, and just from the surface of talking with them in that first session, you can tell that they, they're scattered. Like they, they don't, they don't have a great attention span. They're either, they, they don't pick up on the social cues. They cut you off or they, they, they finish thoughts within the middle of thoughts. And it's like one of those things like what came first? Was it the chronic pain or is it like the, the rampant uh, mental chatter that goes on in their head and how are they linked? Because it, the pain pulls you out of the moment. Like you said, anticipating pain, thinking about how pain was increasing your pain tolerance. So you have more pain. I mean, it, it's a whole rabbit hole. I mean, rather than blame the person, I think, uh, not that you're blaming the person, but I think a better way to think yeah. about that or a better way to, to contemplate that question is how quickly can you reduce pain levels with simply getting someone to, you know, bringing them in to, to talk about the pain, to explain the pain, to reconstruct what the future of the pain is going to be, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you ask me as a therapist, is there anything you do that, that is faster than that? to bring pain levels down? The answer is no. I've said this mm -hmm. before, you know this. I don't think as a therapist, I'm dealing a lot with pain, right? A byproduct is people feel better, but I think that we're trying to change physical tissue in or, you know, and by doing that, making better tissue ultimately makes you function better. And then the byproduct is usually get less pain. But from a pain mm -hmm. standpoint, if you say, what's the most effective thing you can do and I'm going to say meditate and everyone's going to go, oh, you sounds like a, you know, everyone always says that. Whenever you talk meditation, you sound like you're being ascientific. When I tell people, look into the research, there's more research on meditation than most things that we talk about, right? But that would be the most powerful thing I can do, right? Is to teach someone how to meditate, which is simply to say, teach someone how to concentrate on all of the physical sensations that are occurring right now. Again, right? How do you do that? You Somebody might ultimately start with, well, let's get you breathing and get them to try to think about breathing or in my opinion, experience breathing. And then, okay, now experience the sound. 
Now, I, I like to use a lot of cues. One cue that I like when I'm teaching a patient, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but for me, if you're ever going to touch that point where um, you're no longer your egoic mind, you're, you're, you're the muse, like you're the background, you're the, the creative, right? To me, it happens at the moments bet uh, in between inhalation and exhalation, right? Mm. If you inhale and then you exhale and pause, there is, to quote si Simon and Garfunkel, there is a sound of silence. Does that make sense? Like if yeah. you're in a completely quiet room, in between your inhale and your exhale, there is a hum. And the only way I can describe it is a hum. And I like to think about it like all of the working, all of the working as things in your body, all of those billions of cells are busy working. And that's the hum of them working, which clearly doesn't make any fucking sense. It's not what that is. It's probably just the reverberation of your eardrum from the air in the room or whatever. But that moment is where I like to pe get people to concentrate on. Right. And I yeah. find you get them to do that. Then they start to anticipate the next exhalation and then they can spend more time in there. And then if you do that long enough, you can hear that sound of silence, even through your breathing. Yep. That's me. That's how I, what do you do? That's a, that's a good, ex like, what do you, I know you're on Harris's part, uh, thing, right? You're, do you use yeah. Har uh, Sam Harris's, do you use Sam, his, his app because it's amazing scientific description of meditation or because you like the guided meditations both both i like um there's always different topics on there he's got different lessons about like free will free will part two you know like uh you know understanding that like everything that you do there's always going to be a last time right there's going to be a last time that you know not to get morose but there's a last time i'm going to hold my wife's hand Right. It's going to be some, like, just recognize that everything that you do, there at that's some pretty, point, there's pretty, going to be a last. That's pretty goddamn morose there. You really, <laughs> you went fast. I was enlightening people out of pain, and then you just went, <laughs> bam. Remind me not to let you open for me if I ever do comedy. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> there's going to be a last time you feel pain. There yes. you go. Bring it back. Yes, that's better. Uh, no, but, um, you know, especially even like, um, so I do that. I, I also try to be mindful of, of my body when I'm practicing my body. I mean, I think that it can translate over. I mean, that's, that's a lot of the work that we do with people. I mean, I think when I, when I was first coaching, especially when I was using more of the FRS system five, six years ago, it was very, it's, it, it still is very technical, but now it's kind of, it's morphed over into more experiential. It's like, I want you to feel your shoulder. Like, I can't tell you what to feel, but like, do you feel anything on the front? Do you feel anything on the back? Like, what, what do you, like we always say at the course, like, what are the tasting notes? You know, and you're trying to, you're trying to guide what, somebody. What did you say? What, what are the, what are the tasting notes? That's Dewey, that's Dewey's example. Like the wine tasting notes. You ever, never hear him say that? Oh, no, I haven't heard Dewey say that. Oh, that's what a good one. You know, that's a great way to, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dewey Nielsen. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, you're guiding, you're guiding somebody through their body and in that process, especially, I mean, I, I'm not doing therapeutic hands-on work cause that's not in my scope, but, uh, you know, I do have so many people that come in with pain and you do what you can. And, and one of the, the first several, I mean, all of it, but the, the, especially the first several sessions working with somebody, it's, it's really about building an awareness and, and, and giving them like, okay, this is how I want you to take care of yourself when I'm not around. Right. Like, what do you feel? 
And it's so much about like, I need you to, I want you to try to find, I always say like, if you, let's say we, they finally find a stretch in the back of their hip, right? And it's taken a little bit of time. I'll always be like, all right, I want you to screenshot that feeling in your head. And then you need to find this at home when you're not with me, because that's where we have to start our work. So there's a lot of, you know, we always call internal training, but there's a lot of internal focus in what we're trying to do. Because most, like you say, most people are not connected with their bodies. Um, So when dealing with people with pain, it really is like, you're kind of guiding their attention into what you can do, right? To kind of not distract them, but to pull their attention away from the pain as much as you can. Because pain is... Pull it into now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because like... I don't know if I want to say, like, when I say now, I don't want to, I'm not like... Deepak Chopra kind of thing. No, that's, that's actually Eckhart Tolle, which I mean, I hate, I hate self-help books because personally I do. I'm not saying if you, if they help you, that's fine. But I always think to myself, the people writing self-help books are the people who don't need them. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it, and then you're re- it, anyway. So I, I didn't want to interrupt what you said, but no. uh, I was going to yeah. say Eckhart Tolle is one that I've read where if I read through a lot of the stuff that I don't find necessary, I like, I like the way he explains um, now, which is alluding to what you said, when you bring someone back to right now, um, whatever is bothering them, it, it's still there, but it's not compounded by the future and the past. So whatever yes. you're doing, it's better now. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It, it's, it's, if you, if you deal with it in the now, you'll usually end up being better. So that's what you're saying. You're trying to bring the person to understand them in space. Yes. Yeah. And the body is how we, the, the body, like, just like, it's like, oh, you know, experience your breath. It's like, well, let's experience your back. Mm. Like, what do you yeah. feel? Like, do you, yeah. there, are there parts that you feel disconnected? Where do you feel connected? Mm-hmm. Like, you just, you just pose these questions because you want them to consider. They want them to consider stuff. It's stuff that you would consider if you're practicing on yourself as well. Like, oh, you know, I feel really good here. Like, I feel a little sticky there. Um, and I think about, I think we had, I don't know we had this discussion, you and I, sometime in, we were in Europe or something like that, but it, it always stood out to me. It's like, and you should expand on it, but, um, how you would, how the difference in people, when you would have them come in and you would have a sheet of where they would draw the pain mm-hmm. and the level of detail oh, that yeah. varied from person to person, like, uh, mm-hmm. that really, that really had some light bulbs for me. But that's not, <clears throat> yeah, maybe because you're not from a therapy standpoint, but any therapist listening to this will know, like if you, you give a pain chart to someone and the pain chart is just like a, you know, there's a, a picture of a body. You might have a VAS scale where you can say my pain's eight out of 10, nine out of 10. And then you have a human body and you can say, indicate where, you know, if, where, if there's any numbing, just put some ends. If there's tingling, put T's. If it's throbbing, put whatever. It just gives you a way. So like, you know, my shoulder hurts. I can say, oh, my shoulder hurts. It's throbbing pain. You know, just pick up some information. But what we really give that to patients for is to see the response as to how they, they, they draw it. If you come in and I just see a circle on your shoulder and that's it, then the person, this is not a hundred percent across the board, right? But you can anticipate that the person isn't solely focused on just that, that problem, right? Mm. It's, it's a problem. That's why they're there and they want to deal with it. But some people, they will, they'll circle and then they'll do stars and then they'll color themselves in like they'll literally like it hurts here and here and then they'll, they'll it, it refers over here and then it refers here and then arrows here in this area and then a star here because they want you to they want you to remember like they want you to remember I'm here for my shoulder but other things bother me too right mm-hmm. and 
I understand, right? I, people who are in chronic pain, I mean, I worked in chronic pain for a lot of years and it's a horrible thing, right? And when someone's in chronic pain, it's far beyond the physical problem of the pain usually. So it's a sad thing to see, but because you asked, yeah, you'll see that they'll have their whole body colored in. Sometimes they'll put a face, they'll put a sad face, they'll put an angry face. I think from my experience, when I get to talk to them, the vast majority of that is, is a direct result of them feeling like they haven't been heard and that no one is giving enough attention to that problem. Mm. Because I often find that they'll come in, somebody will come in with a a MRI with findings and you know, they'll have shoulder and everything's colored in. And then you talk to them and you ask them, did anybody ever explain to you what this means on this MRI? Like what that word is or what that word is. And as soon as you just start to explain it, um, I I find the, the levels just start to drop right down. Right. Yes. As soon as you say, oh, yeah, I see your shoulder hurts here. And I notice you're telling me that your elbow also hurts and you put stars here. So for sure, that's important. And I don't know if they're related, but the body does work together. So let's let's equally look at your shoulder and your elbow. And then it's a matter of saying, let's look at your shoulder first or or trying to, you know, because you can't treat everything at the same time. Yes. I don't know if that was a question. That's just how I deal with it. But no, I think it's I think it's really thought. you know, a, a very thoughtful response because as, as a trainer, cause I come from the training aspect of it too. Like I'll have people that come in and, you know, in the back of your mind, it was more evident when I was younger, but in the back of your mind, you're kind of like, okay, like we need to get more stuff done. But sometimes for consultation, especially with people who are in chronic pain, like I'm expecting to start our, our functional range assessment at some point in that, like the first part of it, at least. But sometimes you have like, you, you just, I, I just don't interrupt. The person goes on for like 45 minutes. Yeah. You just yeah. want to be heard. Yeah. And you know who, I mean, it's their time. Who am I to be like, okay, like we have to get going. Like, they, like it's a big thing. And like, even just taking the time and having more empathy and just like, I know you, of course you have an agenda. You, you want to make sure that this person's getting the most bang for buck, but sometimes are the most for their time for what they're investing into. Uh, but sometimes it's just listening, especially if you, if you deal with a lot of people with chronic pain, you know, I get the whole gamut. I get, you know, high level athletes. And then you have people with like, you know, EDS syndrome and, and just tons of chronic pain and everybody in between. So like having that variety and, and having that ability to be, have empathy as well as like, know that you're going to be able to at least provide some kind of a, a sense of security as far as like, all right, here's what we're going to do. You know, I can't necessarily say that your pain is going to get better by doing this, but in my experience, people get, people feel better when they move better. Mm-hmm. And you just try to, you're trying to be intellectually honest but at the same time, give them hope because, you know, self-belief is a huge part of that, that healing process, thinking that there is an end to, to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, go back. I'm interested. Go back to, because I know how, how I feel about it. And you, we, we started talking about it and then we kind of dropped it is that the programs that we teach, um, it, like I said, the, the vast, the, the most important and the first job is to make someone familiar with themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So, the, the, the idea of getting the person familiar with their meat wagon, as we sometimes uh, refer to it, their, their, their meat dressing, their meat soup, like getting them familiar. Um, I've always, well, in my experience, it's told me very clearly that um, most people that come in to see us, their problem lies in that, right? 
ultimately yes. the problem lies. So it can manifest as tendinopathy. It can manifest as, as whatever, but ultimately the vast majority of the people who walk through the door, um, they are not in control of their meat wagon. So I'll often, I'll often tell people, um, if people are listening, if they ever listen to weekend at Bur or not listen to, if you ever seen weekend at Bernie's, do you remember that movie? <laughs> It's it's a great old, movie. old movie right? <laughs> where the, the guy's dead, but it behooves them to make people think he's alive because, because of a very interesting and comedic plot that I advise that you go and check out. But anyway, so they have him walking around and when they have to wave to people, they're, just, they're, they're putting his arm up and putting his arm down and they're, they're going like this because he's on like guy wires and shit. And I, I feel like that's no joke. A lot of the problem when people come in and they have problems with musculoskeletal health, dysfunction, pain, or whatever. It's just a lack of familiarity. And to go back to what you were saying, I think you can do a moving meditation. Like once you get to the mm -hmm. point, you can do a moving meditation. It takes a lot of training, but in addition to meditation, you should probably also do moving meditation. And, and that's a lot of stuff that we give people. And before I let you go off, understand that what we're talking about is not unscientific, right? The idea that if you take your thinking mechanism and you direct its job towards your shoulder, the idea that if you, you know, direct the thinking mechanism's energy towards the shoulder, that you're not going to increase the ability for the thinking mechanism to function the shoulder, you're crazy. That's completely scientific. So when we're saying be mindful when you're moving, what we're really saying is, you know, concentrate all of to the extent that you can all of your conscious ability into that joint as you move it and pay more attention to the experiences coming from that joint than all of the millions of other sensory experiences that are coming in mm -hmm. so yes. there's no question but tell me about like what's the experience with that with training people um I, it's 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 interesting because when I, when, when I first work with somebody, I feel like a veterinarian, whereas the person doesn't have the language yet to tell me what they feel and what's wrong. Mm. Right. So part of it is I have, we have to teach them a language, right? Do you feel a pinch here? Like, where do you feel it? How do your cars feel? They feel sticky, right? You almost have to give them things so they can help guide you into where they need to work. Obviously you have, we have like an assessment, right? We do the functional range assessment. Um, so we, we, you know, we, we look at every joint and, you know, see what it's capable of doing by itself and how that relates to whatever their goals are. Um, but the whole process is, is just really about like, okay, like every week we're seeing once a week, or you're going to see me like two or twice a week. It's like, I, I'm so focused in on you knowing what to do when I'm not around mm. because like you only see me if you're, if you, if you can, you see me three times a week, but there's, you know, 170 hours in a week. <laughs> They're not given getting back to meditation. People are not given enough information about the species they're part of. Yes. And, and because of it, they, they can't, like, we, you're not given enough information to take care of, of, let's say, one's mental health, one's physical being. Where do you learn this? This is, what, this is what frustrates me. Like, you're teaching someone about physical, but why do we expect people to know this? And I'm bringing this up because you're right. You're, what you know is going to be way more useful to that person than whatever exercise you prescribe or whatever treatment I give. Like your job is to give them what you know. And, and mm -hmm. the first part about this is, hey, you are homo sapien. Homo sapien is this. 
And to manage homo, homo sapiens joints, you need this. To manage homo sapiens mental health, you need this. To, mm -hmm. And no one else is teaching it, right? No, but no, it, it, it you know, we, I'm sure we, at some point we sound like a, like a broken record, but every, like, but it, 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 it influences every decision that we make. Mm -hmm. Right. And at, what, you know, uh, one time we were talking and we were like, you know, what, you know, how would we approach, like, what if an NFL team, cause we get, we get approached by them. They, they want to know what we want to Like, how would you train somebody? How would you take our team? And it's like, well, we have, you almost have to start with the answer. Right. And the answer is what you said is like, okay, like, like, you know, we're not shitting on, on sports, but we have to understand that, like, from what the science says, like, this is probably where we came from. Right. Okay, good. Now we're in a normal, this is our normal situation. And this is the kind of differences that we have. And we know that sports is also generally like, there's going to be a lot of damage on the body from sports. Yes or no. Right. Okay. So then if we're trying to get people to play optimal, we have to probably undo a lot of the damage that they can, that they're getting in their sport. Right. I'm speaking vaguely, but basically what I'm saying is like, we have to make sure that their, their stuff is optimized so that they can do their sport. And then you're asking like, well, how do I fit the training in? And it's like, because people often you'll give them the answer. Right. Mm -hmm. But they want to massage the answer into what their situation is, but really, really have to massage the situation to what the answer is. So the answer is like, you should, obviously you should still play, you should still compete, but there's things that we need to change so that your players can still play at the highest level. And the, but you only have so much time during the day, during a training session to inflict. So there's some stuff that we have to take out. Maybe some stuff that for many decades was considered sacred and hollow ground, like thou shall squat. Thou has to do cleans. Like, I don't know why you would want a wide receiver to do hand cleans when they make millions of dollars with their hands, but let's take that out and let's give them a wrist. They don't. <laughs> I mean, if you're listening to this, if you've ever, it's amazing how people think professional athletes train and then how they actually train. Yes. And if you think that in, in the MLB training rooms, people are doing fucking hand cleans. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not what happened. I mean, in, in, in any good, uh, training room to be honest with you but anyway i i, I don't want to interrupt yeah. you i like what you're riffing on because no, I, yeah go ahead yeah no go ahead go ahead no i was just uh and so people like they're what did we say one time what you said it's like uh well okay like if i do my if i do this how am i going to train rotation mm. it's like well fucking three hours of baseball practice is rotation how much rotation do you why don't you have oh, something yeah, to rotate yeah. well, well with yeah, 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 yeah. That was a situation we were teaching, and then somebody um, was concerned because we were saying, we, well, you know, with your players, you have to – you need to do this as well as what you're doing, right? You have to add this to training because what we're saying – what we're asking you to do is to train the internal – the person internally in conjunction with external training, but everyone else is only doing external training. So the idea was, you know – when am I going to train like the rotation of my body? So we were baseball players. When are we going to, cause we would say, well, these spines can't rotate. So let's stop training, you know, wood chops and let's start fixing the spine. And then someone said, well, when are you going to train rotational strength then? It's like, well, those guys were just on the field. They just did batting practice and conceivably they just did three to 400 reps where they put max efforts dynamically as much as they could into smashing a baseball at the end of an enormous moment arm, which means that the amount of stress 
in the body in rotation, I mean, you, how much more do you want? Like you're good. Like, yeah, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Let's maybe work on the spine not exploding on this, on the fifth 500th rep. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or like, uh, like back, back to like, what uh, like wide receivers? Like, well, we need to do cleans to train power. It's like, well, fuck, they were just do out there doing uh, 10 yard starters. They were running routes. They, yeah. I saw that. I saw the guy over there. He jumped over three guys in practice. Like how much, like, what about an ankle? Like, like why yeah. do you need at, to do at what point, at what point do you say, you know what, if it, bench pressing 10 more pounds is not going to ultimately be the difference. You know what I mean? Like maybe we yeah. should fucking make that ankle do ankle stuff. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, maybe you should try to keep as many of your starters healthy by the end of the year. Cause those teams typically win the championships. That's usually how that works because I, I we talk about that a lot too with athletics. A lot of people think that, the best athlete, the highest athlete, their training must be the best, right? You hear this all yeah. the time. But no, yeah. it's a lot of people, the reason why some athletes rise to the top is, because, I think, is because their bodies put up with the most shit, right? It's like yeah. everyone's doing this stuff. Everyone's getting damaged. They ward off being damaged a little longer because of some genetic gift. But that's the genetic gift. There's a lot of genetic gifts to athletes. Granted, and it's amazing, and I'm not downplaying what athletes can do, but one of their genetic gifts seems to be their ability to manage forces better than other people or for a longer period of time. But rest assured, they will also be damaged, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, I, it's yeah. I mean, how many athletes do we see on TV? And if you go back to when they were in high school, maybe there was a better player than them, but they got injured the yeah. game that the, that the scouts came to go do it. They blew out their ACL. Yeah. And this guy who was also really good got a chance. And he, because of that, that changed a series of events. And it's, and why did that happen? Well, he probably had a bot, maybe he had a body that was ill prepared for the type of training he was doing in his high school football program. Plus, you know, football itself, it wasn't addressed. And like you said, like, it's like almost like, you know, if you get enough, if you, if you, uh, with enough pressure, you'll, you'll find some diamonds. Mm. essentially and oh, that's yeah, who that's we're seeing put, that's what i'm saying yeah 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 you crush enough athletes you'll find the genetic responders who can put up with it mm. um and yeah so it's like plus like it's weird that people want to like if you think of high athletic competition it's kind of a fringe right and it's not synonymous with health right mm. and, and like we've talked about this many times it's like uh to get again get back to like football players or whatever and anybody who wants strength and power like you don't like, you don't see, uh, like people want to do Olympic lifting, not to shit on Olympic lifting. If you love it, that's great. Whatever makes you a better person, do it. Um, but people want to do Olympic lifting because they see Olympic weightlifters on Olympics as being very powerful. Right. But guess who other people are powerful as well. Like, like you said, like, uh, sprinters are very powerful, right? Uh, gymnasts are very powerful, but you don't see a, Olympic weightlifters practicing the vault yeah. to get powerful yeah it's yeah it people are again people my opinion people are very confused as into thinking that uh weight lifting is somehow bleeds into every other sport that you do like if you were a hockey player and I wanted you to get better, I, I don't think I would say let's, let's, let's put in some, some reps with soccer, right? Let's, let's play a lot of soccer, right? But for some reason, weightlifting seems to be assumed that that always translates, right? But mm -hmm. 
I don't think it does as much as people think. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't get my athletes to weightlift. I, I don't. Sure. But I really reconsider how much and in what way. Like, if, if your job is to move, I don't know. Like, if, your jo- if all you need to do is to be able to move yourself and then to move other people of relatively the same mass, right? Yes. Then I think the, the, the amount of external weight training, in my opinion, has to go down, right? Because yeah. that time is better served getting more control of yourself so that you can control others. And then the amount of strength you need is only relative, right? Like, do you really mm-hmm. need to be able to move around a weight of 500 pounds if you're a lightweight fighter who has to move around weights of maybe up to 165 on fight night? Now, again, people can say, people get really sensitive with this. They're like, well, this is how it's been done, and this is how people get strong. Nah, I, nah, I don't know. Because I don't know if that's how people get strong. And I always use the same example. And I think I've used this on podcasts before, and I hate to repeat myself, but I always go back to like Tyrone Woodley. Tyrone Woodley, the UFC fighter, is built like a brick shithouse, right? And when he fights, everyone always comments about how strong he is, right? And, oh, my God, he's so strong. His wrestling is strong, and it is. I, I, I get, but then you have like Ben Askren, right? And and mm-hmm. Ben Askren, if you see him physically, th- there's a big difference, right? Ben Askren looks like anybody's dad, right? It's just <laughs> that that. He, but when you when you talk, the commentators, oh my God, he's so strong, he's so strong, and I think it's just it's a, a lack of defining. Like we're not defining what's what's strong and what's looking muscular and weightlifting it, like weight is weightlifting really going to benefit what I'm trying to do. You talked about squatting and people talk about squatting is the, you know, Oh my God, everyone has to squat, but is that really true? Why does everyone have to squat? When someone says the deadlift, Oh my God, it's the king of exercises. I don't think they understand why they're saying that because why they're saying the deadlift is the king of exercises in my opinion. And in the opinion of my scientific, you know, review i suppose is because of the global effects of working really goddamn hard right when you strain and 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 push the body and you recruit the maximal amount of tissues you have endocrine responses you have global neurological responses which are amazing but they're not related necessarily to extending your back and lifting something off the floor. It could have been, it could have been sucked out of the person in any other different way. Like mm-hmm. set up an isometric and get someone to move in a movable object yeah. and make them do it as hard. No, really try, man. That's a deadlift. Like that, that is, it's just effort. Your body cares about efforts and it rewards you uh, for some and it deteriorates you on others, but it's, it's confusing people. Like it's, you don't have to be a weight. You don't have to be a weight lifter to be a hockey player. You can use some weights for certain things, but it's it's not for hockey, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and there's only so much training time you have, right? Ultimately, if you want to get better at jujitsu, you should try to do as much fucking jujitsu as you can. Drill, roll, like study it, all that kind of stuff. All right. Well, what's going to allow me to practice jujitsu the most? Let's jujitsu breaks my body down. Okay. So how do I negate the effects 
of my body being broken down from dealing with torque. 12 hours, 15 hours a week of, of awkward torque. Yeah. Well, I should probably torque myself in other ways to bulletproof myself against torque, right? And that's it. So you're healthier. You're practicing jujitsu. Best cardio for jujitsu, fucking jujitsu, yeah. right? Like there's more of it. You get more efficient at your sport. But at the same time, like we always talk about, uh, is that you have to almost negate the pattern, the, the negative effects of patternization from a sport. Yes. You have to kind of balance it out. You know, and if it comes to football, it's the same thing. It's like, well, I only got like 45 minutes. I have an hour with, with my guys. And then they have to go do football shit on the field for two hours. And I get them three days a week. And they're like, all right, well, like, you know, we have to preserve some strength. But like most of you guys, they don't have hips. They don't have spines. They don't have shoulders. This, like, okay, why don't so we just work on that? It gets back to it because it's, again, it's the idea that there's a bias. There's a, a misunderstanding where you have to grab a weight. You have to lift a weight in order for there to be a benefit of some way. And, the, and not only do you have yeah. to lift a weight, you have to lift a weight in a predetermined pattern that some conscious brain thought of. Like, I, like <laughs> snatches are not fucking normal. Like, I say this all the time. I've said this at lectures, I don't know how many times. I'll, you know, yeah. I always ask people, like, how many people here think snatches are functional? And everyone puts their hand up. I go, really? How many of you have kids? I have kids. You ever pick your kid up like this? No, because it's like think of a stupider fucking way of propelling a weight over your head think of a yeah. dumber more dangerous way to put a heavy weight over your head other than a snatch I, I can't imagine i can't imagine ever seeing a hunter gatherer who needs to lift something thinking to themselves i'm going to propel it as hard as i can superiorly and then i'm going to try to sneak underneath it and and squat with my spine in a precarious position with my arms extended back, right? Like that's not something you come up with. It's a pattern and I love it. And I love Olympic lifting to the extent that I don't do it because I give so yeah. much respect and I've worked with Olympic lifters and it, man, it's not a hobby, but you know what I mean? You don't it's just, not a hobby. I, I don't know about dabbling in Olympic lifting. Like I don't know about just going to a jujitsu club and not telling people you've never done this before and just starting to roll. I don't think that's the idea. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? There's, and, and again, I, I love I, snatch all you want. I, I'm just using it as an example to say that to get to what you were saying, like, what are you trying to accomplish there? What I was getting at, instead of using your max efforts to, you know, deadlift, let's, you know, your, your hip doesn't have enough extension. So how can I drive the body and get all of those amazing endocrine releases and neurological global health and, and neurotransmitter work? And how can I stress the body to, to get the stress response, which is adaptation? You can do it in a number of different ways. Yes. We've just been pigeonholed into thinking that those ways have to say York on the end of them. You know what I'm saying? It's like... Uh people think oh you said hip extension so people are automatically going to think like in, the, in, a, in an exercise library they'll think hip thrust they'll think single leg deadlift i mean all great stuff whatever i love single leg deadlifts i, I use them a lot but you're only you're only in hip extension for like a second mm -hmm. in any of those movements because you're going through movement so you're not spending as we know enough time in that position to actually create a change you're not actually spending enough time to gain neurological experience and hip extension so what if you have a sprinter is it is it more important that they uh and i'm just throwing up arbitrary numbers they do like 
a, a 1.5 times body weight deadlift with extended hips at the top, but they still miss five to 10 degrees of what they should have for hip extension when you test them? Or is it better that you spend a couple weeks and neurologically uh, mature that hip to access that extra five to 10 degrees of hip extension so that they can use that as a, as more of a moment arm when they actually do their sport. You know, these are the kind of fine details that you have to get down to. Is it, Oh, uh, all my, all my fast runners, they, they have a certain number of, um, uh, uh, a certain number of lifts that they get, right. They are like all my fastest runners. They have like two, two or three times body weight deadlift, this, that, 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 but that's just like, those are arbitrary things that your brain has decided to categorize because you're looking for patterns to replicate making great sprinters versus just taking each sprinter on a, on an individual basis and seeing whether or not they can actually do, they have the, they have the hardware to do what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Because does that makes sense. Yeah, of course it does because it's, it's okay. So we go back to the triple extension exercise. What is that again? The triple extension, they, they call it clean. I think a triple extension is that what it's yeah, jump, jumping, anything jumping. Yeah. But even though the ankle is plantar flexing, which is very confusing to me, but anyway, it, it's a triple extension exercise. If the things you're trying to extend, extend. So in other words, if your hip can't extend, then thinking to yourself, what is a good exercise for hip extension? you see how it doesn't make any sense. It's either the hip extends or it doesn't. So what you should be saying is not what's a good exercise for hip extension to train hip extension. You should be asking what's a good way to create hip extension that that exercise can subsequently train. Yeah. Or, and you know, take it, it, yeah, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say after, so take it if, if for joint by joint, you lack inversion. So you don't get quite maximal plantar flexion. You don't have enough tibia external rotation, internal rotation. So your knees don't fully extend and you don't have a back that's unglued from the hips, but you know, on coach's eye, you slow motion and it looks like it's triple extension. Right. Yeah. So you're just like, well, let's just keep loading that. And it's like, you're not even the exercise is triple extension because it's a theoretical movement. That's what it, yes. it's an imagined yes. movement. No fucking hunter gatherer got up in the morning, you know, and just started doing triple extension fucking exercises. Like it, someone made that shit up and they made it up with the understanding that everything works. That that's, that's what I keep telling people. It's like, is yoga good for my hip? How the hell should I know? I know that it wasn't made for your hip. For sure, it wasn't made for your hip. It, yes. it's, it's, it's a display of hips. Do you have one? You know. no? Then you can't fucking do it. And the other thing that I always find funny is, is that like, if, you, if, you, if you say these things like, oh man, the right hip can't extend, but the left hip can, right? And now you gave, an ex you gave a squat, which is a hip extension exercise. If I just said the right one can extend and the left one can't, then what, what you're going to do is you're going to conform or you're going to accommodate for, the, for, for your internal inabilities and you're going to produce a, a, a squat which is skewed to one side. So in other words, you're going to be reinforcing all of the imbalances that people are running around trying to find. And that, it gets me going on, on another topic. Therapists looking for these imbalances. I mean, oh, your glutes, you know, it, it's it's only firing at this this rate on this side and on this side it's firing at 60 and this one's firing at 30 let's do some squats what you just said one side is 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 at a different ability than the other so if you do a bilateral exercise what are you what are you saying like you're going to create imbalance 
Whereas yeah. what we're saying is make that both of those hips, jump them up to as close as a hundred as you can so that, you know, you have balanced exercise yeah. and balanced it's movement. Like, like people don't want to learn their vowels. They just want to make fucking paragraphs. Dude, like, you weren't to talk about something like this. You brought this up when we were talked about this, you said you wanted to talk about resetting. Oh, re resetting. Yeah, that might bring us into this topic. Yeah, where yes. were you, you get? What were you? Well, I just, I mean, I don't know. I probably got triggered and saw <laughs> something online. <laughs> always happens, and I text you. Uh, um, and I say it's gonna be okay. Yeah, it's gonna be okay. No, uh, I, I just think um, it, it all kind of comes back to things that you you lectured about, you talked about, is that people have an idea that the the body has an inherent baseline. Right. It's got this like kind of either like a magical alignment. It's got an idea that where it likes its hips or whatever. When really, like we've said, like the body just wants to make more of itself. And however it does that the most effectively, it doesn't give a shit if, you know, you, you pronate when you do it or whatever. Right. Yeah. So it, it, we're just so you take that whole evolutionary perspective, which we've you know talked about already. And then people, they I don't know if it's being intellectually lazy i don't know if it's a catch-all but something like reset they're like oh this is just going to reset the hips to what what are you resetting it to like this is going to reset the nervous system what what does that mean what, i don't like but it's a catch-all for everything none of those people re like if you studied neurology like okay so if you getting back to the evolutionary process if you if you look at the at how humans were forged if you look at how the, the, the genome was forged, man, it was one word, chaos, like just different, different layers of different things, of different stressors, and stressors change with asteroids, and stressors change with floods, and stressors change with fucking climates, and, 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 and viruses. viruses, and things died and came back, and now you have these layers of but why do you think the brain's so fucking complicated man you have what is it like 86 billion neurons approximately making trillions of connections which are changing and because it's a plastic brain on a moment by moment basis so when you say i i know you're going to figure out the reset what you're saying is you are able to track the ongoing activity of 86 billion neurons making trillions of connections that change on a moment by moment basis. Like what kind of computational fucking math do you have that, that you are arrogant enough to say, no, no, if you touch here, the pelvis resets, the pelvis resets. Have you, ever, have you ever dissected a human being? Because I, I have, you know, I taught dissection and I know that you've studied the human being. So I'm just yelling at you. Yeah. Cause, here, cause, I'm, cause I'm around. If you dissected a human being and you look at a pelvis and, and the effects of, of, of change over time and the adaptation and, and how the, pel the, the hip and arthritis, you see a system trying to fix itself over time because there's so many stressors that are undetermined. I sit for this much. I had an injury when I was 12. I fell out of my treehouse and my treehouse fell on top of me. And then I fucking had to do this and this was broken. There's trillions of variables to say that I'm going to do something and I'm going to reset your pelvis is to insult 600 years of the scientific process because mm. 600 years of since this, you know, the dawn of the scientific age, thousands of people studying 
putting millions of papers out trying to figure shit out and then you were alive in the small little bit of human history which is in a small little bit of global history like we're just a, a you know a, a not even a millisecond in terms of importance and you figured out how to reset the pelvis i've been studying my whole life i don't even know i'm not even close to resetting a pelvis <laughs> did i get my yeah. point across there you know? no <laughs> <laughs> I think you've angered enough people. Oh, uh, no, it's maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can reset a pelvis. I don't know, man. I, I've I've been around. I've taught all over the world. So have you. I've talked yeah. to. A, I've just maybe it's me. Well, man. I think with reset, there's that means there's an inherent default. Like if I reset my computer, yeah, I got a computer. It was the first day I got it. It had nothing on it, yeah. right? And then whatever i had to change the hard drive it got reset it's back to where i got it like that makes sense but when somebody resets your pelvis what the fuck does that mean like what what was the what was the original position how do you know that makes sense for a computer it doesn't make sense for a biological system who is being penalized by entropy on an ongoing basis <laughs> you know what i'm saying like what are you saying it's it's you're breaking down you're moving from a more organized state to a less organized state and if you think maintaining a human being can be done with anything other than effort. You're the smartest person in the history of the world. Like you've uncovered, you've unlocked the mysteries of humanity. If you think that you can reset a pelvis, I, 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 I just don't, I don't, I don't know what else to tell you, man. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I mean, are they, you know, they want to reset, like I said, reset the nervous. It's just, it just seems like a, a very intellectually lazy or dishonest way for communicating your lack of understanding. Going back to consciousness research, if you, if you do dabble in consciousness research and you, and you start to realize, which meditation helps with as well, there's no little Dre in bigger Dre's brain at the control, right? There's no little Dre at the helm of a computer pressing buttons. That's not how it works, man. It's, 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 there's centers of the brain which, which, which try to grab attention and throw these it's 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 more complex it's just more complex man it's just it's hard so how, if it's emergent we're gonna go back to consciousness for a second if it's emergent like how do you have an identity like how do you know who you are like how do you remember your high school how do you like well i'm this because i've always done this like i vote republican i vote democrat like i like pie like how did like if it's so emergent where does this shit come from you just asked me to completely um, you want me to take the entire practice of Buddhism and you want me to bring it right down into one second so we can figure it out. That's the whole point of the non-self, right? That's the, that's the whole point is that you're, what you are now is not what you are 10 years from now. You know, mm. conceivably, um, and now people are going to, because the, the internet is full of assholes, but no, I'm just joking, but people are going to jump on this, but conceivably, um, 10 years from now, all of the cells that make up Josh, are, none of the cells that are here now are gonna be here 10 years from now. Minus some in the eyeball and there's a few in the heart, so smart asses, oh, there's some in the heart. I know, but conceivably every 10 years, I mean, most of your body changes. You, you can actually say, like if you have a recording of yourself from 10 years ago and, and you're, you know, you're on trial for murder and there's a video of you stabbing someone and the judge says, Josh, is that you? I mean, scientifically, you can kind of say no, right? All of the cells that were there are no longer in me right now. 
So of course you're just, you're, you're, you're not the same person you were 20 years ago, which is why I, I, I always think that people that say people don't change is a strange, it's a strange and a, a self-defeating philosophy to live by because mm. people do change. That's the definition of people. Like entropy makes it so that everything changes all the time. So to see that people can't change is weird. People change all the time, right? You're, it's like you're, you're, you, you're who you are with me, but you're not who you are with me with your wife, I hope, because that would be strange. But what I mean is like you're a different Josh with your wife. You're a different Josh mm-hmm. with any relationship you have, right? Sure. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer. What the hell am I? I'm just a fucking therapist, but... No, I, I, I don't, uh, yeah, you, you're, you're who you are right now, conceivably. Um, and of course you're influenced by the past and I get that, but you, you can only use the past do to use it to help you with what you're doing right now. So it, it does all, yeah. all come back to right now, right? There's really nothing else to talk about other than right now. Well, the only reason that you would have a, capacity to remember the past from a hunter gather standpoint is to help you like you said with right now like oh i remember like when it was about this temperature uh many moons ago there were strawberries here so let me go back and look for strawberries or whatever or whatever they were you know what i'm saying it's like you you're only using that but you know taking all that now in our kind of non-human environment i mean that's why that's the best case ever for a concentration practice because you're not you right like you could right now decide not to be dre yeah sure and like because it's because it's not real no right it's just electrons in your brain that are on loop yeah saying oh my, my name is this i believe this i've done this i had this happen to me when i was five you know whatever and like you could just immediately right now just disconnect from that have some separation sure you know if you did it too long you'd be call you you know think you're insane mm-hmm. but uh just to know that you can parachute out of your you know out of your identity, I think it helps a lot, especially when you're, you know, trying to explain similar concepts like this with people with pain, like they bring it back to the people we've been working with and stuff like that. Um, and just having that flexibility, having mm-hmm. that, that flexibility in, 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 in how you perceive things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So much of what we do is, is teaching people how to concentrate. Um, another thing I wanted to uh, just kind of bring it back to what we kind of see a lot of in the fitness industry is that we don't, um, Unfortunately, like, you know, because people just don't acknowledge what we are, you come up with a bunch of bullshit to try to fix stuff that doesn't need to be fixed. And we've, mm. you've talked about this for years. Right. Um, and I remember there was a conversation I had with, uh, Hunter fitness. That's his last name. Fitness. Uh, <laughs> I had a, it was sometime in Europe, but basically it was like, if you had a, we kind of talked about if you had a fish and you took a fish out of water, but you left it in like either a fishbowl or enough, enough water for just for it to breathe and the fish started to develop problems, like it wasn't activating its fin, you would, you would say like, oh, the fish just needs to go back in water, right? You just need to put the fish back in water. But what we do, if we apply how we look at humans and we apply it to that fish, we would have to come up with minivan exercises for that fin. Or we'd have to find that, oh, I noticed that the fish, its spine doesn't articulate well. Maybe it needs a chiropractor for its spine. Yeah. It's like, no, just fucking take it and put it back in the ocean. Yeah. You know, or it's like, oh, I noticed that the, the left gills, they can't access the left gills when it breathes. I think that's what's causing the issues. And it's like, no, it's just not in its environment. And so if, if, if anything, or, if people get anything. Or, yeah. or something bit a chunk out of it and now it's left gills not working. And, and, and now you have to fix that. But you see yeah. what I'm saying? Like, you just get a Theragun. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. You just need to. <laughs> you need to put vibration on it. That's gonna help. Because you know all that research on vibration. Uh, no, there's not. There's not. There's not. There's not. Yeah, there's not. Uh, really upsetting. Anyway. And if, uh, you know, for people who maybe aren't in the fitness industry, but follow a lot of stuff that's like that, and like you always kind of get inundated with all this kind of like gimmicky stuff, it just always have to revert it back to like, what, what the fuck did cavemen do? Yeah. You know, like, what did they do? Like, we always come, if you come back all the time to that evolutionary perspective, mm -hmm. right, then it, it's really going to help you sift out a lot of shit. Yeah, you know? but the, of course, people listening to this are going to go, oh, you know, people what are they going to say? What are they going to say? I'll tell you what they're going to say. They're going to say, well, you don't know what was it. You know, hunter-gatherers also rested. I've heard all of this, right? It's like I didn't know that. Because I will always say that, like, for example, that you should train something more along the lines of to what your human genome dictates, right? And when, you, the, when your human genome was being forged, it wasn't being forged in a time where you took all of your force inputs and jammed them into a 45-minute espresso uh, booty fucking class at lunch, right? Like that's not normal way to train, to condense all of your force loading into one hour of a wad, right? It, 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 some, it should go something more like there's forces distributed through the day, like you have a 24 hour training day, right? Um, and that's what we're getting at. And what we're also saying is that like, if you look at hunter-gatherer populations, the amount of caloric expenditure was way higher than ours, but they still rested. We're not stupid. I'm not telling people to just, you know, persistence hunt every day but no i'm telling people to maybe think about what the body requires what it wants when does it get upset when you're loading someone in one hour with imaginary weight uh, you know bringing up the yeah. idea of squatting like squatting it's a natural movement it's a natural movement when you're picking something up when you put a, a, a 45 pound straight bar with circular masses on each end and then balance it on C, the C7 spinous process and then squat in a way so that you balance this, in, this external weight in your environment. That's not normal. That's a bar squat, which is not, that's not, that's not a normal thing yeah. to do, right? That's not, people think that this is, oh, it's normal to deadlift because you pick things up off the floor. Well, no, it's normal to pick things off the floor. What's not normal is doing it with a straight bar in the exact same way at infinitum for the rest of your fucking life. That's a problem. Like, right, yeah, that's you, a problem. You weren't picking up the antelope for three sets of 10 off the ground. Once that antelope died, you were done, right? You weren't snatching the antelope. <laughs> you were like, hey, Jim, can you do this? Like, no one was doing that, right? Yeah. And it's not, it's not the, it's not as much as the immediate, immediate effects of what happens. It's like, it's the long-term changes that happen to the structure over the body, the patterns that happen, you know, like, yeah, your, your, your bones change over enough time and input to accommodate or adapt to what you're doing. And uh, a lot of times those can be maladaptations, you know? Just had a weird thought. Consciousness really fucked everything up, didn't it? I mean, like maybe the, the evolutionary, the natural, you know how natural selection is not moving people towards optimum. People often think that like yes. bipedal posture was somehow more efficient than quadrupedal posture. And that's why humans decided to become bipedal, even though bipedalism is not a feat of humans. It's a feat of, uh, 
of simians, like they were bipedal in the trees before they were on the ground. That's what the new research says. But anyway, so we always think like maybe consciousness was, it's, it's beneficial. And, and we talked about how it might be beneficial because consciousness allows you to predict more of the future. And if you can predict the future, you can put things in place to temporarily circumvent entropy in order to build things. I don't want to get too far into that. We've talked about that uh, before. Where was mm -hmm. I going? I was going that, but there's probably a byproduct of consciousness, which I think is causing all this negativity. Like think your body naturally selects for more and more awareness of itself because you can make predictions. But then as mm. soon as you, you tip the balance and now you have too much awareness of yourself, well, now you have the anxiety of pending death, right? Mm. Yeah. You know so it's like you go to a point and then it stops being a good uh, evolutionary mechanism. And conceivably, if you look at the human species and you put it up against the beetle, we're going to be the least su successful species ever if we're on the current course. Like if you look at how long we've been here, there's yes. a lot of species that are way more successful for us, like fucking water bears, right? <laughs> way more successful than us in the, in the grand scheme of things. So maybe yes. consciousness, if, if predictions are right and we're all, you know, going towards making ourselves extinct that might have been the the one step too far on the natural selection process like think about our patients what's the problem the problem is not that they, they have their appetites are weird right it's not like my client has a weird appetite and that's why he or she overate and has diabetic symptoms it, no it's it's options right yeah there's no like what 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 I'm pretty sure that if you look at obesity in the animal kingdom, the only problematic animals are humans and those things that are fed by humans, right? Right? Like the you only have an overweight cat, but you're not going to have an overweight fucking leopard. You know what I'm saying? Because, oh, yeah. it, but it's consciousness makes it so that if I want to eat, I, I, I can now go to the store because we, we, created, we created civilization and I can make decisions between a big Turk, an O. Henry, and a, and a, you know what I mean? And a, and a bag of chips. And then the bag of chips, there's like 17 different flavors of chips, all of which will activate my brain chemistry in a slightly different way for me to say, oh my God, ketchup flavor. But there's, there's all of this extra shit, right? And to get it, it's relatively easy. I literally have to pull into my pocket and tap my card, right? So yeah. now- Consciousness made all of this stuff, but it's also the reason why, you know, we're eating ourselves into early graves and we're not exercising because it's not necessary anymore because of consciousness. Yeah. Right. No, I think, I think you're hundred percent right. And you add on to the fact that most people um, don't, aren't satisfied with what they have to do to make enough, you know, money to make survival points to go up, to get these things. And we have well, a lot of people, we don't have as much tight knit communities as we used to have, you know, humans are a very social animal. So it's like all of these things are kind of splintering, uh, like what we have going on. I'm convinced that like, I hope I don't have it, but I, I, it's like all this, like kind of early onset dementia from just constantly getting buzzed by your phone, you know, Oh, I got an email from you. Oh, cool. But I also got five text messages from three different people. And then I have like six comments I have to get to and the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all these things are like, are really frame our attention, our ability to focus on stuff. And then you're so blown out by the end of the day, you just want easy, comforting calories to, and you're probably not going to move. And like, this is, unfortunately, this is experience for a lot of people. And 
uh, it's probably because consciousness, the way we have it was fine before we got into agriculture, maybe like we got like dope brains that like remember shit can think of shit or creative. And it, it's awesome when you're, when you just live in trees and there's no, like, you know, you're not surrounded by corners and you go from one box to another throughout your day, but you take this like hyped up state of self-awareness that in the right environment is, is, is clutch. You're the apex predator and you put it in where we are today. And uh, you know, that's where it starts to cause problems. Now I don't want people to think that like you and I want to go back to being hunter gatherer. That shit sucked. It was hard. You probably like got dysentery, you know, and stuff like that. I don't know. Have you, uh, have you, have you looked into civilized to death yet? I, I have, I, I, I have to finish it. I have, I'm like halfway through it. Um, yeah. I want to let people know it's like an alternate narrative on how we consider success from a civilization standpoint. Yeah. The, the, the whole premise of that uh, book is, uh, why can't I remember the, the name of the author? It's, uh, Chris Ryan. Chris so, Ryan. So the premise was that, you know, pre-civilization wasn't as bad as you might think, right? <laughs> um, so like, for example, one of the things that people often go to is like, look at our, um, uh, what's the life expectancy? Look how high our life expectancy is. When you back in the hunter-gatherer days, you live till 20. Well, that's not true at all. Because if you look at the, the average age of death, it gets skewed because back then there were a lot more infantile deaths there were a lot more deaths at birth, right? So it brings the average down. But if you could get by the first few years of life, the age expectancy was where it is right now, right? Mm. And then there's also um, some evidence to say that even the things that extend our life, if you look at the years that are being extended, if you, if you, you know, contrast that with the quality of life surveys, you realize that all of the extended years are spent on average in depressed states of living mm. uh, with, with uh, less ability for human happiness, like pain, um, dementia, whatever. Even, uh, and I'm going back to Chris Ryan's um, uh, book because I, I didn't, I never re researched that per, uh, specifically, but he even mentioned stuff like, the Heimlich maneuver, or when someone, uh, you know, is drowns in a pool and we bring them back to life, everyone's talks about the, the, the save rates of those procedures. But what they don't tell you is, is that the mortality rate of those people moving forward is really bad. Like most people, when they get resuscitated, they go to a hospital and, and then the chance of them surviving is not that much, even if they oh, get really? resuscitated. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, there's just a lot of, a lot of, yeah, I mean, you, you read these things. You can't be up to date on, on all research, but I am, uh, I, I have studied evolutionary biology for quite a long period of time, and I, I can't say I disagree. I mean, mm. you can say life is awesome now, but you're saying life is awesome now because it's catered to, the, to your consciousness, right? Because before, watching a fire was fucking amazing, man. It's still conceivably now. I don't care how yeah. exciting watching internet whatever is, watching a fire brings out something in a human that I, I, nothing watching water lap against yes. uh, against rock anything like that um but now our, our reward system's so fucked up that now we we almost we we ignore our human reward system like moving to get our our what's what we know this move around you're going to increase the endogenous cannabinoid um production and you're going to get stoned right do a good set movement session, really be in there and concentrate and med 
and you feel like you're high, you feel stoned. It's a, it's a, it's a reward mechanism. But now you can get that reward mechanism from taking a pill, right? Or, mm. or you know what I mean? It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fucked with our human reward system. That's really ultimately what the problem is. That book was interesting because it also kind of, and you have to refresh me on some of that, but basically, like, basically, like, too, it talked about how, like, you know, the engine for civilization was human labor, human slaves, mm-hmm. basically, is that as civilizations grew, they needed more people to do the lower end work. So they just engulfed more people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, which, which automatically starts a casting system, which propagates till to today. Ridiculous yeah. systems of, of, you know, these people are for this and these people can do this, but not that. I mean, it comes from, it comes from it, even, I mean, going back to that book again, he talks about the role of women back in hunter gatherer populations, um, which was an exalted role, right? It, it, mm. it was, it, they just as important, if not more important or equal, of course, equally as important as, as any man in the tribe. Right. Yes. Um, then where did that go wrong? It seems like civilization. So if you, I guess to review that book, it's like, if you think of everything that went wrong, you can kind of trace it back to the advent of human civilization. Think you talked about dysentery, right? But yeah. was dysentery there before we overpopulated the world and had problems with sanitation, right? Was malaria, yeah. malaria is a tuberculosis. When did that start? Was there tuberculosis in hunter gatherer days? Most of the diseases that we complain about today were invented at the onset of human civilization like chronic low back pain and, and, and chronic, bring it back to our profession. When does that start happening? It happens at the ads, on the onset of human civilization. That's when you start to get uh, the, the uh, fossil records demonstrating increased amounts of degenerative disc disease. And, you know, it's, it, it, bipedalism was one, civilization was the other. Yeah, I mean, at some point, the first there had to be humans that had to realize not to shit in the river that they're going to drink from. Did you, you had to or, go or there wasn't enough cumulative shit because there wasn't seven or eight billion people shitting simultaneously, mm. right? You, you, I mean, you sh- fucking you shit yes. into a, a, you shit into an ocean, you know, the molecules dissipate. <laughs> you shit into a puddle, you have a problem. So yeah, I mean, if you take a dump in the Nile River and then you're going to go hike, you know, 15 miles the other way, it's not going to be a big deal, right? But I think, I think we've reached the end of our conversation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope people will feel better after listening to this. No, man, not after that one about the, the, you're going to hold your wife's hand for the last time that happened like 20 minutes into this marathon. That really brought, <laughs> I hope you pick them back up with, with the understanding that all of their <laughs> reward systems are skewed. And that um, civilization isn't as a uh, is ultimately doomed. Having <laughs> uh, said so, all that, I am an optimist. Maybe we'll get to that at the next episode. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot to unpack. We could talk about how to make things better. Nah, fuck that. Let's, let's leave that for for part two. Of, part two. Of, of, yeah, part two. Exactly. Talking with Josh. Awesome. All right, man. Uh, you got anything to say? Are you you're teaching a seminar this weekend? Correct? Are you? Yeah, we're te- yeah yeah. I'm teaching with Dewey and Brian. Doing, doing, what are we, what are you guys doing? You're doing an FRC. FRC. Yeah. yeah. FRC. Okay. Okay. And then there's a, yeah, yeah. Some other stuff. Anyway, uh, seminars at functionalanatomyseminars.com. Um, also check out our other sponsor, Westside Barbell. 
uh, westside-barbell.ca, or sorry, .com. Uh, use the promo code DRE10 at checkout. You get 10% off their merchandise, their educational materials, uh, and a lot of other good stuff. All right, my brother, I'm going to talk to you soon. All right, man. Thank Love you so guy. much. Later, Love brother. Peace. Later.